0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Glad to see everybody, and glad you're able to make it out. If you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, as we take a pause uh, uh, in our series through Colossians, and for the next couple weeks, going to focus in on uh, the, the time that we have at hand, this Easter time. I want to look at the triumphal entry this morning. So Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, where it says this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, what a, what a Sunday we get to be together to, to uh, celebrate the triumphal entry. Very few stories are more well-known than this one. But of course, of, of popularity of stories from the Bible, this would certainly rank up there. You have Jesus coming to Jerusalem on a donkey. A uh, donkey. A young donkey at that—a donkey that hadn't been broken in. Uh, just yesterday, as uh, we were leaving our house and heading heading over to the the city Easter egg hunt that they put on, um, I as we were driving, just pulled out of our uh, out of Westwood there, and we were driving down the road, and there's this there's this guy running down the road on one side. He was wearing jeans and and a shirt, so it didn't look like he was on a jog. And then on the other side of the road, there's this there's this big black cow. Running down the side of the road, and so, uh, so I went on ahead, and, and I I don't know if you've known this, but when I was pastoring in Northern Iowa, the church I formerly pastored, um, we had a guy in our church who um, whose cattle got out quite a bit. I hope he's not watching, uh, but um, and so I would often go over there and kind of help. I'd stand in places and try to help him get the cattle back in. So we drove past, and I figured, well, I'll go offer my my expertise, and turned around and. By this time, the the cow had, had kind of gotten in behind a little house there that sits on the side of the road, and I pulled in and he came up to the van. I said, uh, "I said, can I can I be of assistance to you? Can I stand somewhere?" And he goes, "He goes, yeah, that'd be great." Turns out that it wasn't his cow, and he had uh, he had he had almost hit it on the road driving when he was driving. So he figured he'd pull over and he opened up a fence nearby and was trying to get it in. So I got out of the car and and uh, he went over to open up uh, another fence. And the, the cow was probably a good, oh, I don't know, 20 yards away from him. But it saw him, and it just bolted after him to charge him. And he jumped on the fence, and the cow just barely missed him. And that's when I said, let's call the sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we did. My help was I called the sheriff. Uh, and, and, and then after that, we went over to the Easter egg hunt. We saw 1,000 wild animals. Clobber after all these Easter eggs, but the triumphal entry—so much symbolism, so much there—and and, and uh, we're gonna pass out these these palm branches for our kids. It was just—it's it an event that is very important to understand. We could very easily just go over this, and it's very easy to maybe focus on one or two things from the story, but really the the whole thing is important. The triumphal entry as. We have come to know it is one of the most important milestones in the life of Jesus Christ. What happened on that day would set events of the crucifixion in motion, irrevocable. And by entering the way Jesus did, Jesus was setting this up. The religious leaders were going to be forced to act. These religious leaders who hated Jesus and had only grown in hostility, they would be forced to act. Because now you have this guy who's, now it's official, public. He's claiming to be king. And Jesus, of course, knew they would respond in hostility. And it was a public event. Now this kind of goes outside the norm of Jesus' ministry. Uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, when, even if he healed someone, or when he cast out a demon, people would say, well, let me follow you. And what would Jesus say? No, go back to your hometown and tell what the Lord has done. Go to the temple. Offer yourself, uh, offer the offering for being cleansed. Show yourself to the priest. You would tell people, no, 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 don't, don't, don't say too much about me. But now, for this triumphal entry, Jesus is going to put on a huge public display, and it's not because he's, you know, all of a sudden not a humble guy anymore. But he was going to put on this huge display, public and planned, that he was the Messiah. Now, this happens during the week of the Passover, so, so hundreds of thousands of Jews would be in there. As a matter of fact, it's estimated a a, a survey taken just not long after these events of the first century, uh, a survey that was taken estimates that there are around 260,000 Passover lambs slaughtered on Good Friday. Which means, estimates, uh, they put it, historians put it somewhere around 2 million people could have been in and around Jerusalem during that time. So Jesus here is making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Thousands of Jews would have been on that same road with him, behind him, in front of him. And, and uh, there's million, there are a couple million maybe people here. Jesus wanted as many people as possible to see him. To see him, the Messiah, the King. And he wanted there to be no doubt about it. The man that they crucified just a few days after this would be the very one that at one point they cried, Hosanna. He wanted all eyes on him. There would be anybody who who knew about the crucifixion, they would have either seen it for themselves, or they would at least have somebody maybe who was there who could tell them. But it was also a sorrowful event. The triumphal entry was accompanied by tears. This is in Luke's account of the story. In Luke 19, 42 through 44, it says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, it says, he wept. And here's what it says. He says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And remember, all the people are, what are they doing? They're shouting. They're celebrating. There's excitement, exuberance in the air. And Jesus is weeping. And he says, but now they're hidden from your eyes. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they'll tear you down, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So while all the crowds are celebrating and singing. Jesus is crying because he says they, just, they didn't get it. I wonder, would Jesus shed tears over your excitement this morning? Would Jesus shed tears just, they're singing the songs, but they don't get it. They don't know me. I mean, do you really know him? Do you know Christ? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Or do you just know about the hype around Easter time, around Christmas time? There are four important elements about the triumphal entry that help us know who Jesus is and follow Him closer. So I want to look at each of the four elements this morning, and uh, unpack them and how they and what they mean for our lives as we seek to live this Christian life. Four important elements about the triumphal entry. Number one, I want to look at the king's providence, the king's providence, in the first three verses. Now this can be really easy to skip by, because it kind of just sets up the entry. So the background is, Jesus in John chapter 12, we learn that Jesus had been visiting his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus is the one who was raised from the dead. So Jesus leaves Bethany, and he's making his way to Jerusalem, and the crowds, of course, have been stirring. People want to see Jesus, they want to see this miracle worker, and, of course, they want to see the one who most recently raised Lazarus from the dead, And so he approaches the city and it says here, and I want to focus in on verse 2. It says he uh, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Now don't miss this. Notice the omniscience of Christ here. He has knowledge of all things. He knew exactly where the, the cult would be. He knew exactly where the disciples would find it. He knew that his disciples would find it. You know, given sending him, his disciples on, on on errands, you can't always be too confident things are going to turn out like Jesus wanted them to turn out. But he was confident he knew they would find them. And he knew it would be available and it would be there. Don't miss the omniscience of Christ in all of this. He knew all that had to align to make this entry possible. Think about all that had to align. The donkey had to be there. The owners had to be willing to let it go. The owners had to make sure they didn't you know, make a trip out into the field or something where they would need the donkey. But Jesus knew all that had to align to make sure that that very moment, those donkeys were ready for him to make his triumphal entry. From eternity past, all things were aligned and ready to go. From eternity past, even a donkey was prepared for Jesus Christ. But also in this, when we talk about the king's providence, notice his authority. Now both Mark and Luke, in their accounts, they actually say, when the disciples, you know, Jesus here says, if anyone says anything to you, here's what you say. Well, Mark and Luke tell us that the owner did say something the disciples come up and they start untying the, 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 the colt and its mother. And they're like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you, what, what's going on here? Why are you unta- untying the donkey? Because that's exactly what happened. And the dis- disciples said exactly what Jesus wanted them to say. Did you notice what they said? They didn't say Jesus. They said, the Lord. The Lord. The Lord needs them. And immediately, the owner, who most likely was a follower of Jesus... Surrendered his possessions. This young donkey. Not broken in. Was needed for divine service. This young. Near wild donkey. Needed for divine service. What came to my mind was my first car. Raise your hand if your first car was a clunker. Okay, mine was. I got it from my aunt. Speedometer did not work. Odometer did not work. Gas gauge did not work. Heat did not work. Air conditioning did not work. Passenger seat was not attached, so you just swiveled around as you drove. (laughs) Brakes weren't great. Exhaust fell off. Uh, It was a 1991 Dodge Ram Charger. So not a Dodge Charger. Some of you think the nice car. No, it was a Dodge Ram Charger, which is, you know, Dodge's version of a Ford Bronco. But it was not that great. And it didn 't look that great, but it was the car we had and I remember all through high school uh, using that to pick up pick up other kids who don 't normally go to church, other high schoolers older kids um, who weren 't church and didn 't go to church and and uh, using them to to uh, To take them to church on Wednesday nights, to youth group and things like that. I remember specifically one night I picked up uh, a guy. His name was his name was Alex, and I and I we were on our way to church and it ran out of gas. Had no odometer, speedometer, gas, nothing. So I just kind of had to guess how far I've driven on this thing. And I remember it died on our way to the on the way to church, and I had to go. Uh, there was a friend who lived nearby and had to take it. But, you know, you got this old piece of junk, and. It was, it, was, it was such a small thing. I remember Alex would eventually get saved by going to youth group. And, you know, there's this, there's this young kid with a junk car. And, but never underestimate what can be used by God. He was the young, restless donkey. And it was used for divine service. And the owners freely surrendered it. We just see the humility of Christ here as well. I mean, the Messiah doesn't even own a donkey. And he he walks everywhere. Jesus walked everywhere. We'll talk more on that later. But I think out of these verses, when we talk about the king's providence, I think this should help us to live a life of submission. Because verse 6 tells us that the disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They went where he wanted them to go. They spoke what what he wanted them to speak, and the rest was just trust. The rest was just, all right, God, I'm going to do what you call me to do. You take care of the rest. The owner surrendered without hesitation because the Lord had authority in his life. It's the king's providence. You may hear that word providence. What does providence mean? Well, providence is God's meticulous care and his governing of all things to accomplish his purpose, so his meticulous care and his governing of all things to accomplish his purpose. That means everything that happens in life, it includes donkeys, it includes people, it includes sin, it includes obedience, everything is within God's providence and everything is working for to carry out God's purposes. And we look, when we look to King Jesus, we got to remember that everything that comes into our life, everything that comes into our life... Everything that comes into our life is put there by the providence of God. We must submit all of our being to his lordship. Remember the, the, the famed missionary martyr Jim Elliot is famous for his quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. But there's another quote of his that, that really drove his life. And here's the quote. He says, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. What is he saying there? He says, to the hilt. Live your life to the hilt that no matter what you encounter, no matter what God asks of you, God has a purpose, that God put it into your life. And so he says, Lord, I'm all in. Jamilia says, whatever happened in life, it was put there by God, therefore I'm all in. Every situation, every conversation, every relationship, it's all of him. He was all in. Are you, am I, are we all in? What are you holding back? What if, what if Jesus called for, you don't have a donkey, what if Jesus called for your trust? What if Jesus called for your money? What if Jesus called for your time? What if he called for your sexuality? What if he called for your service? Or your possessions? What if he called for your family? Those things that you hold dear to you? What would you say? Would you let him go? Because guess what? Jesus has called for them. And he's called for them from me. It's like Jesus would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? we got to live like Jesus is the king. He has complete and total authority. That's the king's providence. There's another element here that I want to look at. And that's the king's prophecy. The king's prophecy. The king's providence, his ordering of all things to accomplish his purposes, which means everything that comes into your life, everything, is ordained by God. And we have this prophecy now, the prophecy here, Matthew combines Isaiah 62, and Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 to, to prove that Jesus was the fulfillment of what the Messiah would be. Now, the popular, now, or actually, the context of, of Isaiah chapter 62 and Zechariah chapter 9, which we won't take time to turn there right now, but the context of those two is the, is the ultimate rule of the Messiah. That's the context in which these prophecies were given that the messiah would come and he would be the ultimate ruler for all eternity. Now the popular view of the messiah during this time is that the messiah would be characterized by aggressive militarism. It'd be this great military guy. He'd come in aggression and power. The messiah would come on a war horse and he'd come to save Israel from the Ro- especially the Romans. But instead, he's on a donkey. No war horse, no warriors, just seated on a donkey, coming as Israel's victorious Messiah. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy in submission to God in his word, and he would come to his people in humility, not hostility, The reason why he comes in this way and the reason why he fulfills this, if you look at verse 5, it says, behold your king. And behold your king. That's, he's confirming his kingship. The prophet is saying, he, the prophet is telling the people in the Old Testament, behold your king. Behold him. Be ready for him. Expect him. Look for him. But see, they didn't, just, they didn't, they didn't get it. Because it said, you'll, you'll know when you see him because he'll be a king and he'll be riding a donkey. It's hard to get too many things confused here. This is the way Jesus would come into Jerusalem. And this is the way he would make sure everyone knew who he was. There would be no doubt as to who was being crucified on Good Friday. He was the king. And he came to show his kingship and he came to show his meekness. Now, if you were a Roman soldier in Jerusalem during that time... And you saw all this stuff going on, and you would say, all right, what's going on? Who's this guy? What's, what's this all about? And someone would tell this, this Roman soldier, well, this is Jesus from Nazareth. And the Roman soldier, okay, some obscure small town way far away from here. What, what big deal is that? And then you would say, well, this, this, is the, this is the king. And you'd see, and you'd see Jesus riding on a donkey, a young donkey. And you would just shrug your shoulders, Notice here in the in the in the prophecy, it was a beast of burden, a beast of burden, made for nothing but yard work. That's what Jesus is coming in on. You just shrug your shoulders. I mean, and then look look at his companions, fishermen, poor people, common folk. It's almost offensive. That anybody would say that this guy's a king. No trumpets, no parade. But tell me this, and you know the answer what memory does the world have of the royal processions of Roman emperors? What memory exists of them? Might be a few people who know some. There's some history, I'm sure, on it. But they're not remembered like King Jesus. They're not remember, remembered the way that King Jesus is when he came to proclaim his kingship. Their memory is all but lost. But the memory of Jesus, showing himself as king to the people, to the Jewish people, will live forever. His word will abide forever. This memory will abide forever. And the fulfillment of this prophecy, it gives us confidence now that Jesus, that Jesus will come back. That Jesus will come back. Why? Because there's there's a verse right after Zechariah chapter nine verse nine. Zechariah chapter nine verse nine is this prophecy. But here's what Zechariah chapter ten verse uh, nine. Sorry, Zechariah chapter nine verse nine is the prophecy. And then Zechariah chapter nine verse ten says this: I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's verse 10. That hasn't been fulfilled yet. He's not reigning the way this verse says he should be. The, the battle bow still exists. We still have wars. In verse 9 of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he came as a king, but he didn't come as a king to conquer. He didn't, to, he didn't come to conquer his enemies. He came to conquer sin and death. And Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, is on its way. Jesus is on his way to fulfill that prophecy. He already fulfilled half of it, as far as this prophecy is concerned, and the other half is yet to be fulfilled. See the example of Jesus' humility yet again. He wasn't here for ease or expediency. Which is why he didn't own a donkey. He walked everywhere he went, and just think about how tired he would get from walking. And yet he still served people and loved them and helped them. But also the disciples, we notice here in Ah, I'm anointed. Chapter uh, nine, verse here in. Uh, where we go here. Uh, here in, in chapter, look at verse 7, it says uh, the, it says they brought the donkey and the gold and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So even the humility of the disciples here. They laid their clothes on the donkey so that Jesus could ride. Hope you're not afraid to get your clothes a little dirty, dirty for the sake of serving Jesus because the disciples weren't. There's a third element we want to look at. We see the king's providence, we see the king's prophecy, and thirdly, we see the king's praise. And this is kind of the, fo- this is kind of the focus of the whole, the whole narrative here. The king's praise in verses 8 and 9. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and, and that followed him, they were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Now let's set the scene here a little bit. The scene is one of, the people see Jesus coming and, and immediately excitement and exuberance just, just fill the air. And they begin quoting, which is what we read earlier during our song service, Psalm 118 verses 25 through 28. Now, the crowd is confessing that Jesus is coming as their Messiah on the authority of God Himself. It's pretty significant. This is a very significant psalm. It's a messianic psalm. It's a very significant psalm for these people to be singing to someone because they wouldn't sing it to just anybody, they would only sing it to the one who does fulfill the messianic prophecies. And more and more people, as people came into town, as people, as people saw what was going on, more and more people joined in. And more and more people began to sing and shout and celebrate. And this is the final, for Jesus anyways, this is Jesus' final and official presentation to them that he is their king. Jesus is showing them who he really is there was no doubt. There was no doubt. Jesus was declaring himself as the Messiah, the chosen one of God to save his people. That's who Jesus was saying he was. And so the people make an improvised red carpet. So they probably had old clothes that they had with them. They're traveling, so they probably maybe had some older clothes or clothes, extra clothes with them. Many people uh, use those people go start hacking down tree branches from nearby, and they start throwing them in the road. And it's just this red carpet that Jesus rides in on. Again, another sign of not the greatest not the greatest exuberant uh, public display as far as the king goes. Clothes and branches. But Jesus is escorted into the city. It's only about a couple miles from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Now, why was, going back to what we said at the beginning, why was Jesus crying? All this is going on, and the people are singing the Messianic Psalm to him. Isn't that what he wanted? Didn't he want them to know that he was their king? I mean, you'd expect this is where the story ends, right? This is, this is the, and they lived happily ever after, right here. Where is it? Why are we looking ahead to Good Friday? What's going on in this crowd? Why is not just, hey, the king is here and he ruled forever and ever, the end. Why is this only just the beginning? Literally, just the beginning. Because soon many in the crowd who cried Hosanna would call for his crucifixion. Now we can't, we can't know for sure that every single person in that crowd made up the same crowd that would cry crucifixion. But there were certainly certainly some overlap. There were certainly some people who on the day he entered Jerusalem and were crying hosanna save us would be the same ones crying to crucify him. Ultimately, Jesus Jesus just wasn't what they expected in their Messiah. That's ultimately what happens. They thought the Messiah would come as a political conqueror, but instead he arrives arrives in humility on a donkey, riding on some dirty clothes from the disciples with a bunch of common people and fishermen following him. Where's the political conqueror? And Jesus was making a statement. His kingdom would not look like any earthly kingdom. His kingdom would not resemble any earthly kingdom. And I think there are many people shouting in joy. But I think many of them are doing it because that was the thing to do. You got all these people doing it. It's like a large crowd. You know, we've seen large crowds in America. And, you know, eventually, hey, if everybody else is doing it, I'll do it too. And it, just, it was the kind of the thing to do. They're all f- shouting for Joy. But on Friday, good Friday of that week, the thing to do will be to yell crucify. That'll be the cool thing to do. And that's what many of them would do. As a matter of fact, he'll be traded for, remember his name, Barabbas. Do you remember what he was known for? Do you remember what he was in jail for when he was released? He was in jail for attempting an insurrection of the Roman government. To them, Barabbas was a closer picture of the Messiah than Jesus. He looked more like the Messiah. This guy, at least, he tried to do something about this Roman insurrection. So give us Barabbas, you crucified Jesus. It's no good here. No good to me. No good to the Jewish people. He's not truly the Messiah. I pray in the depth of my heart. That you would find no one else but Jesus. That there would be no substitute. Nothing, no one. That he would be king. Lord of all in your heart. That you wouldn't trade him. You wouldn't be so willing to trade Jesus off. Because he wasn't what you pictured the Messiah to be. That you wouldn't be willing to trade him off. Because you thought the life he could give you isn't the life you're getting. The money he could give you isn't the money you're getting. The health, the wealth, whatever else. The marriage, the parenting, the job. And Jesus just isn't measuring up. And so you call for Barabbas. Call for someone else who's a little bit more like the Messiah, who's a little bit more like the King. They're crying, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, It's, it's a plea. Lord, save us. But they didn't want spiritual salvation, they didn't want spiritual salvation just before the, the triumphal entry. In Luke's account, uh, Luke records the parable of the 10 minus, minas, and you may be familiar with this. But the point of the parable is that the kingdom was going to be delayed because the people rejected the king. It's interesting, that happens right before the triumphal entry. So in Luke, Luke gives us, Jesus gives this parable, hey, the kingdom's going to be delayed because the people don't really want me as their king, and then he goes into the triumphal entry. But the king in this parable, if you remember, uh, he gives his servants a bunch of different mina, and then he goes away on business, it says to receive a kingdom. And then here's what it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 14. It says, that the people of the city send this notice to the king, and they say, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. That is the heart of the crowd. That's the heart of the crowd. We don't want this man to reign over us. And remember, this, this is the parable Jesus gave right before the triumphal entry. So this gives us the reality of the hearts of the people. They wanted Jesus on their terms or not at all. They had all the right words. They had the wrong heart. All the happy emotions, no conviction. Jesus had spiritual requirements. He wanted them to meet, yet they were unwilling to do so. We've been, last couple of weeks, we've been, as we've been going through this series in Colossians, it's been danger, empty philosophy, danger, empty religion. Well, we, can, we, can, we can title this Danger, Empty Celebration. Danger, Empty Celebration. Where we're celebrating Jesus and we're, we're in the hype of Easter and maybe Christmas and maybe some other things here and there. And we're celebrating we're happy because we feel good. We've got the emotions and we sing all the right words, but our hearts are far from him. And that might be some of you this morning. We sing, give me Jesus, but really we don't want him. The question is not, do you have positive thoughts about Jesus? It's not the question this morning. It's not, do you have positive thoughts about Jesus, but is Jesus your savior? Has he saved you? Are you trusting him? Who died for your sins and rose again? Or you're just saying, oh yeah, it's all about Jesus. Well, then he starts confronting me about my sin. And then we realize Jesus isn't going to be the king I want him to be. Jesus will never be the king you want him to be. But he will be the king you need him to be. And that's what the people needed. They needed the king they needed him to be. The same day Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, now this is Passover time. The same day Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, or it may have been to the day after, either way, one of these two days, the people, uh, according to the Mosaic law in Exodus chapter 12, they were to select the Passover lamb that they were going to slaughter on Good Friday. See, Jesus came as their king, but he also came as their lamb. Those 260,000 lambs they didn't need to be slaughtered that night, or that, later that week. Here they saw a king, or they wanted to see a king that would free them from Rome. But Jesus was coming as the king and as the lamb who would save them from their sin. Is Jesus your savior? Let's look at the last element together as we move along here. All these important elements, the king's providence, the king's prophecy, the king's praise. But something almost head-scratching happens here at the end. Verse 10 and 11. And so here we see the king's portrayal. How is Jesus really portrayed? And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And that word stirred was we got our word seismic. It's like this, this, this rumbling, this shaking. What's going on here? Notice what verse 11 says. And the crowd said, Oh, this is the prophet Jesus. Like, all these confused onlookers are looking in the crowd. And, and, uh, and uh, if you remember, this isn't the way kings would normally ride into town. Yet it shows the utter ignorance of the people. Some had a superficial knowledge of Jesus. Some were just ignorant. So, I mean, some truly did believe and claim them as their savior. But notice the response to these confused onlookers. Who is this guy? Oh, it's the prophet, Jesus. Did they forget what they were just shouting? They sing the messianic psalm. This is, this is the Messiah. This is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He's not merely a prophet. This is the king. This is, this, is, this is God sending his chosen one. And he's portrayed as less than a king. Man, how fast we forget what we sing on Sunday. How fast we'll forget what we sang about and talked about and learned about Today. We'll say, Jesus is king. We'll sing, Christ is Lord, Lord of all. And yet we forget so quickly. The Pharisees. I mean, this event, the Pharisees, religious leaders, they're going to act. Because there's one or two things going to happen. Either Jesus was going to subdue the Romans, and that would solve a lot of things, or he had to die. Those are the only two possibilities. Because he was claiming to be the Messiah Pharisees did not want Jesus to be recognized as the, the Messiah. We get this in in the other accounts in Mark and Luke. Uh, one in uh, I think it's one in, in Mark and Luke uh, during one time they they see the kids shouting his praises. Um, or that's even that's after he cleanses the temple here in chapter twenty one of Matthew, and, and they say, "Hey, you need to you need to sh- you need to shut these kids up." In Luke, he says, "Hey, you need to you need to rebuke your disciples." this is in Luke chapter 19 verses 39 through 40 where it says some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him teacher rebuke your disciples notice what Jesus answers he says I tell you if these were silent the very stones would cry out this was a moment Jesus was showing the undeniable proof that he was king Did you know what his first act as king was cleansing the temple Casting people out, overthrowing tables, robbers, extortioners had plagued the house of house of worship. And this king came to kick them all out. And that's when the children came to him. The children were crying out, Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. The blind came to him and they were healed. The lame came and they were healed. And see, the king... Jesus is going to be portrayed as a counterfeit by the Pharisees. So if the people he's portrayed as less than king, the king the king by the by the Pharisees and the religious rulers is going to be presented as a counterfeit. But the children knew. Children knew. Those who were blind and lame and found healing in Christ and had their sins forgiven, they knew. All the religious rulers, they saw the singing, they saw the children coming to Jesus, they saw the blind and the lame being healed, yet they grew more and more and more and more furious. All of Jerusalem stirred with excitement and confusion. And yet something else was stirring on this day. When we come back on Friday, we're going to see the Passover lamb slain for sinners. Until then, look at this and live with boldness in the providence of God. Live with boldness in the providence of God. Be humble enough to get your clothes dirty for Jesus Christ. Have a sincere heart of praise and faith in Christ. And never forget that Jesus is coming again. But the next time he comes, he won't be on a donkey. He will be on a war horse. And he will come to finally get rid of all those who have rejected him. Until that time, there's still time to switch sides. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never trusted him who died for your sins and rose again, there's still time before he does return, not to conquer sin and death, but to conquer all those who never trusted him. There's still time, and he's willing and ready to receive you You confess your sins and believe in your heart that he died for you and rose again. All your sins forgiven. And you'll be with him on that day. All this excitement, all this confusion, yet on Good Friday, the Passover lamb will be slain. I trust you'll join us for that. Let's pray. Lord, how how fickle our own hearts are when we look at this, this life, how quickly we can have hearts full of exuberance and excitement over who Jesus is, but our hearts really don't belong to you. Lord, I pray for those who are in here, maybe watching online, maybe you're going to watch this later. Lord, those in here who, maybe they get caught up in the excitement of Jesus. Maybe they have good thoughts about Jesus, but Jesus isn't really truly their own personal Savior. Lord, may today be the day they're saved. Lord, help us to live each and every moment knowing that it's from your hand and in your sovereignty. May we serve you with humility. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.